0: I'm Robert Weimer of Real Life in the Word, a ministry that seeks to bring a light into the darkness with the scriptures. To learn more about me, the show, past shows, and how you can support the ministry, you can go to robertweimer.com. That's r-o-b-e-r-t-w-i-m-e-r.com. Now, let's deep dive into the Word of God. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Life of the Word. I'm Robert Weimer, and today we're going to go ahead and discuss part two of the End Times Timeline, and part two is entitled Understanding and Dissecting a Prophecy. Now, before I get started in this, I want to tell you a story, and it was a rather strange thing that happened. Uh, A lot of people around in my area know that I'm working on this End Times Timeline, and I got a letter from a woman who said that her 8-year-old child, back in 1983, in Trenton, had a prophecy. Now, she wrote it down, what he said, and I took her notes and transcribed them. And I, want to, I really want to read them to you, because it's really kind of eerie. When I was 8, I saw a man coming out of the bike store near the money place he got on his bike and rode to the cross that was outside of town i looked up and saw an apple with a bite taken out of it and all the people around the apple were afraid mad and sad i wondered what the apple was and the angel told me that it would be a business that would soon come but would be no more i would be between it or excuse me it would be between the businesses of chocolate and would cause despair for a time Then I saw a man walking to work. He clocked in and sat at a table and began to eat. He talked to another man that told him the future of the apple business. I then saw another man driving to work and he clocked in, went to a room and talked to another man and told him the future of the apple business. The first chocolate business closed down. Then it came back. The angel told me that my town would grow then stop for a while, then grow again for another time with businesses coming and going. Now, that's strange because around here, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, people will recognize around Trenton, which is where I'm from. Um, And it's just sort of strange. And, well... I'm going to go ahead and break it to you. I, I made up this story. <laughs> now, I'm not meaning to be purposefully deceitful to laugh, but this story incorporates five elements found within Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. And those elements within the kids' story that I gave an example of, as well as other prophecy, are multi-time, split perspective, imagery, partial and total fulfillment, and grand perspective. So let's go ahead and get into part, or into the example one of multi-time. Now, what do I mean by that? Multi-time is present, near future, and distant future events within a single prophecy. So if you read from the Book of Isaiah or the Book of Daniel or even uh, Jesus's Olivet discourses, as found in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 you're going to see an example of this multi-time. Now, within the kids' story, the whole story is an example of multi-time. Because from where I made up the story that would happen in 1983, the cross that is outside of Trenton wasn't built then. Okay, So there's an example of multi-time. Present events, which... The, the store with the bicycle store, that's coast to coast. Now, people around this area will recognize that, that lived in that time, and they'll recognize it, but there is a future event that happened. But within the Bible, we have to look only at the Olivet Discourse, and this is a very key thing. And I'm going to read a portion of it from Matthew and Mark, and you'll recognize it if you listen to Bible prophecy before. And this is from Matthew, Matthew 24, verses 7 through 9. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. Okay. Then we move to Mark chapter 13, verses 8 through 9. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourself, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before the rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. Okay, so Matthew and Mark are giving the same Type of thing where we're hearing that earthquakes are going to happen, pestilences, all these real-world events that are going on, and then what's going to happen is that they're going to deliver them up, uh, beat them in the synagogues, uh, deliver them up uh, for trial for the namesake of Jesus. But then we come to Luke, Luke chapter 21, verses 10 through 12. This is where we get into the example of multi-time, and it's only found in Luke's gospel. Then he said to them, nations, shall, nations will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful signs and great signs from heaven. Okay, so that sounds familiar, but then here comes the crux of it. But before all these things... They will lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up for the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Okay, so there is multi-time within Luke's gospel. And if it's there, we have to incorporate it in the rest of the Olivet Discourse from Matthew and Mark. So Jesus is talking about near future and distant future events. Now we read in the book of Acts that the disciples, the, the then apostles at that time, were delivered up in the synagogues. They were beaten for the namesake of Jesus, for giving testimony. So that particular part of prophecy has been fulfilled. But because the that Discourse, as well as other prophecies, reads like it is a continual story, there is the mistake in thinking that it either occurs In the near future, from the perspective of Jesus and the apostles, or from the distant future, which is basically our time that we're talking about now. So it's only within Luke's gospel that we see the example of this. And there are many other examples of multi-time. There is the um, peaceable kingdom, uh, the sermon, or not the sermon, but from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 11, We see an example of multi-time. We see an example of Isaiah predicting the birth of Jesus, what he will do in his lifetime. But then all of a sudden, Isaiah jumps to the distant future when the second coming of Christ will usher in the time in which he will rule and things will change during the millennial kingdom. And there are many other instances of multi-time. So, multi-time present, near future, and distant future events within a single prophecy. Okay, so let's move on to the to the second one. There is the split perspective. And what this is, is this incorporates perspectives from multiple individuals having a different start point in time or place, but lead to the same end point. And within the kid story, we have the instance of the man driving to work, and the man walking to work. Well, these are two different individuals from two different perspectives that are leading to the same point in time, where they are both talking about the future of the Apple business. And for those of you who don't know, around here, the Apple business is ConAgra, and I've just kind of given away another thing within prophecy, but we'll get into that. But that is split perspective. Now, We get this also within the Bible, within the book of Revelation, and we have split perspectives going on with regard to the beast. Okay, so I'm reading out of Revelation chapter 11, verses 2 through 3 and verses 7 through 8. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months and I will give them power to my two witnesses. Okay, so this is the two witnesses portion of Revelation that many may be familiar with. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Okay, so this, is, this instance is occurring in Revelation chapter 11. But if we go over a couple of chapters to Revelation 13, and many will recognize this from movies that quote this chapter quite a bit, then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on the horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And you can read throughout the rest of 13, it's describing the beast, the false prophet, what will happen then. But this is a split perspective example, because if we, if we take into consideration how we read things, We usually start with point A and point B, and nine times out of ten within books and within movies, it is a very linear approach to time. It has a beginning, it has an end. If you read about it or watch it early, it means that it occurred early and later on occurred later on, but not in this instance, not within prophecy within the Old and New Testament. In the example of Revelation, we read that the beast kills the two witnesses in Revelation 11, but we also get an idea in Revelation 13, if we don't understand split perspective, of a different beast. okay, But it's not. It's the same beast. Revelation 13 simply goes back before Revelation chapter 11 events and says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So there's split perspective going on, and it is repletely used, if that can even be a phrase, throughout the Old and New Testament. There is a lot of split perspective, and it can cause confusion. Okay, moving on to imagery, and this is probably the big thing that sets a lot of people off against looking at prophecy, reading prophecy, is the weird and funky usage of imagery, but imagery is cultural and individual-specific imagery, which is explained, if not otherwise used. Okay, so going back to the kid's story, we, re- we remember that instance where I looked up and saw an apple with a bite taken out of it, and the people around the apple were afraid, mad, and sad. Okay, ConAgra is a food processing manufacturing plant that within their logo has an apple with a bite taken out of it. Okay, so that is specific imagery. People who live in Trenton will recognize that bit of imagery if they have been past Conagra. They will recognize that, oh, we must be talking about Conagra. But people outside of Trenton will not recognize that imagery because it is specific to the culture, to the geography of that region. Okay, and then we get an instance within the Kent story, the angel told him, What it was, because in 1983 the kid wouldn't have known it, so the angels explaining it, and that's the thing that is happening within the Bible. If imagery is used for the or given to the prophets, imagery that is unfamiliar, God Himself or an angel will give explanation. And so we go back to the Book of Daniel, chapter seven verses 2 through 4, and then the explanation within verses 15 through 18. So I'll run these together. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Okay? That's weird, weird, messed up imagery right there. And see... Daniel was a praying man. Daniel was very highly revered. You, you read in uh, chapters 7 through 12, um, the angel Gabriel is saying that Daniel is highly revered for being dedicated to the Lord, for prayer, and all of that. But Daniel didn't understand. He didn't understand. So we read in verses 15 through 18, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he didn't understand what he said. He's coming up to the angels. He's coming up and saying, hey, what does all this mean? So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever, forever and ever. Okay, so it's explained. And, and I'm making a sniblet of this area, of this chapter, just to give you an example of the imagery being explained when it's not used again. So if you read in the Bible, in later prophecies, imagery that isn't explained, then you need to go back. You need to go back and find out where it is used the first time and in the interpretation. But let's skip ahead to the last book, the book of Revelation. And we read in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 and 20. Then I, I being John, John who wrote the book, uh, I then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, that being Jesus, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girdled about the chest with a golden band. The mystery of the seven stars, okay, so John saw seven stars. There was a lot more imagery, and I would encourage you to read that chapter alone. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you see, are the seven churches. Okay, so the imagery is explained, and let's keep something in mind with regard to God and using all of this imagery. God is so far above us from the standpoint of everything. He has to condescend, and I know that's a bad word nowadays, but he has to come down to us and gives us imagery for which we can understand. And if we don't understand it. Then it's explained to the best of their abilities. Okay so that is imagery. Okay so moving on. To the next example. Partial and total fulfillment. And this again. Is replete throughout Old and New Testament. The fir- okay so let's go back to the kid's story. Partial and total fulfillment. The first chocolate business closed down. Then it came back, okay? So back during 1983 or around that time, the chocolate business, which is Nestle, um, it closed down, it left, and then there are other plants that came along or other corporations that took over the plant. It closed down and then it came back. So there is a partial and then a total fulfillment later on. But then we get into the the examples of this found within the Bible of partial and total fulfillment within prophecy. And we find examples of this found in Isaiah, Acts, Joel, and Daniel. Okay, so let's go ahead and go into into Isaiah into the peaceable kingdom, and we are familiar with this chapter eleven verses one through eleven. There shall come forth a rod from the stem or from the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. Nor decide by the hearing of his hear, of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. Okay, so we see in that particular instance, they're talk, Isaiah is talking about Jesus. And that portion of the prophecy has been fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. But it reads on. And I mean, when we look at Isaiah, this particular chapter, it looks like it's one major prophecy. But it isn't. There is a partial and total fulfillment as well as split time going on here. And decide with equity... For the meek of the earth, he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness, the belt of his waist. Okay. That hasn't happened yet. That happens with the second coming of Jesus Christ. But if you read the entire thing, it looks like Jesus comes, sets up shop, destroys the wicked with the rod of his mouth, I mean, it reads like that, but it is partial and total fulfillment. So this particular part of the prophecy, the peaceable kingdom as it's otherwise known, and I'll get into that a little bit later, it has only been partially fulfilled. It has not been totally fulfilled yet. And we get into the area which we have known, you know, a lot of us know. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Okay, and it goes it goes on and on and on with that. And see, that is talking about the millennial kingdom. Because when we read the instances of animals in Isaiah here, the animal's nature has been changed. No more will there be any animals, no predator-prey relationship like we see now in this fractured creation. This is a portion of prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled and will be fulfilled during the millennial kingdom, the the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, because sin will not be here during that time. And so everything will return to a Garden of Eden-like existence and see this is the reason why we can look at this and say this hasn't been fulfilled yet this is yet to be fulfilled and so we read on into the pouring out of the holy spirit now this is a familiar passage and is used at pentecost um the the 50 day period after the resurrection and we read in acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 and it shall come to pass afterward that i will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old man shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions and this is coming after people have heard the speaking of tongues by the apostles so So Peter is standing up and giving his first sermon after they have been accused of being drunk by some people. He is quoting the prophet Joel, so we see that it has been fulfilled during that time. He is quoting verbatim the prophet Joel, okay? But that's only partial fulfillment. That particular instance of Joel was fulfilled within Pentecost. But we have another part talking about the rain. And we have to backtrack to Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. Okay, the former rain is referring to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost onto the disciples. The the former rain faithfully, and and I will add, not only just the apostles, but to all of the disciples by the laying on of hands and them receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Um and he shall cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. So there is going to be a second rain that will occur, and it did occur during the early 1900s or late 1800s whenever two Christian women started speaking in tongues. Now, this is a caveat, this is a side note, and I have to say this if we're talking about tongues. In the Greek, the word tongues... Used at Pentecost, used whenever they were laying on the hands of the other disciples, and all of these things is the word glossa. It is not changed. We are not talking about a foreign language. Well, it is foreign to earth. But we're not talking about Portuguese, Spanish, French, German. We're not talking about that. We are talking about a different language. And at the time of Pentecost, There were not only multiple languages going on, but also multiple dialects. And during the time at Pentecost, Peter and the other apostles were speaking in tongues, and everyone heard in their own tongues. Everyone heard it at the same time. There wasn't a starting and stopping of the gospel. Hey, I'm going to switch up to Portuguese. Hey, I'm going to switch up to Hebrew. Hey, I'm going to switch up. There wasn't that. It was Glossa a single tongue by which the Holy Spirit enabled those that would have a heart to listen to understand. And and that's a side note. That's a side note with regard to speaking in tongues. And that'll probably be another discussion topic altogether. But let's finish out the examples of partial and total fulfillment with the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, verses 4 and verses 9. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Okay, the time of the end, in meaning the time whenever it's about to begin, the the whole tribulation and the 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 countdown to the day and great and terrible day of the Lord. Seal up the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. That is an end times prophecy. That is things that are occurring right now. And he said, "Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed." till the time for the end, okay? So we have partial and total fulfillment within that particular book. If we read all of chapter 12, there will be partial and total fulfillment that's going on. So let's move on to our final example, getting into grand perspectives, okay? Uh, So we go back to the children's story, or to to the child's prophecy, I should say, The angel told me that my town would grow, then stop for a time, then grow again for another time with businesses coming and going. Okay, so that is a grand perspective with regard to Trenton. Trenton has grown, Trenton has stopped, and Trenton will grow again, and there are businesses coming and going. So that is a grand perspective over the entire town, and this is used throughout prophecy. Grand perspective, meaning the overall story so that the prophet can understand. And we get into this, especially within the book of Revelation. And this happens in chapter 12, just before chapter 13, where the beast is rising up out of the sea. We have to understand that grand perspective is used. So in Revelation chapter 12, now a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign in heaven, behold a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Okay, so let's stop there. The interpretation of that prophecy, we can look back and we can recognize it. They're talking about Mary. Mary is about to give birth to Jesus, okay? His tail drew a third of the stars from heaven and threw them on the earth, okay? That is the war in heaven with Michael that occurs between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And if you look back in other uh, postings that I've done, especially part one going over um, uh, dispensationalism, I give you the scriptural references linking the war in heaven and where those where those are in the Bible. It is found within Isaiah, within Ezekiel, and be, this war occurs between 2 and 3 when Satan is cast out of heaven with a third of the angels that decide to follow him. So, this has happened before. It's not a future event that's happening. It's happened before. So, let's continue reading. Um, seven diadems on his hail... On his head, his tail threw a third of the stars of heaven and threw them on the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, so that's future, <clears throat> but the birth of the child is there, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. Where well, she was where well, there was a place prepared by God, and that they should feed her one thousand two hundred and sixty or sixty days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the Devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. And I'm going to go ahead and stop there. You can read the whole thing within Revelations chapter 12, and that gives a grand perspective. Why did things have to happen? Why why did Jesus have to be born? What happened during that time? What was going on later? And we see a grand perspective, which God gave to John, to help John understand why this prophecy had to take place. So grand perspective is found within the Old and New Testaments. And what we have to keep in mind, too, is how God sees things from the standpoint of prophecy and how we see things from the standpoint of prophecy or how prophets see. And within the show notes or within the page here that you're reading... I've put up a photo mosaic of this is what the prophet sees and this is what they write about. And within that photo mosaic, you don't really recognize it. You see a bunch of little images. And that's how prophets see. God gives them a little piece of the picture. And within that picture, there are specific people, events, actions, dialogue, all that thing. And they write about it. They write about it, and they make books about it. Isaiah, Daniel, Amos, Jeremiah, all of these different things, as well as Jesus, but it never gives a whole picture, and God sees the whole picture, and that's what the last photo mosaic on this page, on the show notes page, talks about. This is what God sees, and within the picture, you see the eye that was in the previous picture before, but you see the whole image. And this is what God sees. So God gives little segments of this picture to all of the different prophets and they write about it. But when all of these little pictures are put together, we understand the whole of prophecy. And this is what's important to understand about end times prophecy. End times prophecy is not just found within Revelation. It's not just found within the Olivet Discourse. It's found within the Old and New Testaments. And we have to mine these prophecies to be able to understand them totally. I I mean, the thing that blew me away in preparing for future discussions was what's going to be happening in the millennial kingdom. It is not what people think. And there is scriptural evidence to say that it is a lot different than a lot of other ministers have said. It's different, and we'll be getting into that later. But let's go back. To a child of Trenton's prophecy from 1983. Now, whenever I told this in the discussion group at 8:45 in the morning, there were some eyebrows raised. I didn't tell them that it, that I had made it up, but there were some eyebrows raised because it was uncannily accurate. And so I posed this question to them near the end. I said, "If you didn't know that this was if this was fake, and you knew the child." Would you believe what the child said about future events? And the answer would be yes, because past events or, let's say, partial fulfillment of prophecy could be seen within the history of the town, within events of the town. They would look at that and say, well, wow, that kid was right. Maybe we should listen to him about the other stuff. And that's the thing with regard to prophecy. Prophecy is very important it is important to evangelize to the lost of Jesus Christ because most of them will not believe a lot of the stuff that comes out of the Bible with the exception of prophecy. We can look at partial fulfillment of prophecy found within the Old and New Testaments and we can look at history within the world and say, well, this is what happened. And it said it right here in the book of Daniel. It said it right here in Isaiah. It said it right here in Joel. It said it right here, and we can go on and on and on. And the lost would look at that and say, well, yeah, it is accurate. And they were right. Maybe they're right about the other things. And that is the foot in the door with regard to evangelism. We have to understand prophecy is important, and it has not been all fulfilled. It was not all fulfilled in 70 A.D. with the destruction of the temple. It was not fulfilled soon after. Prophecy is still going on. End times prophecies are still going on, and ladies and gentlemen, it's ramping up. The signs are there that we are headed towards the tribulation, that seven-year period, and it's headed up to where the church will be raptured before that tribulation period. In later discussions, we're going to be getting into that, into the rapture, into the building of the third temple, into the Antichrist and false prophet, how people will change, what the world will be like during the tribulation time, and signs that point to the countdown coming up. I'm Robert Weimer. This is Real Life in the World. Thanks for stopping by, and God bless you. Thanks for listening, and I hope that you were moved to delve more into God's Word. For past recordings, show notes, links, and scriptural references, as well as other information, you can go to robertweimer.com or any of our social media links, such as SoundCloud. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and for those who are without Jesus, may He knock on your door and may you answer Him. Thank you, and good day.